I'm sure that you're like me. This last Wednesday, we heard that news coming across the TV and the radio and realized that a 19-year-old boy walked into a high school down in Parkland, Florida and shot and killed 17 young people. Injured a number more, 15 at least. Once again, I'm sure like you, we all sat there that have children and realized, how could this be? We put our child on a bus in the morning and they go off to school fully expecting them to come home that afternoon. And because of that tragedy, their lives will never be the same again, those families that were left behind. You know, it's not the first time either that I've seen a young person and understood in the news that a young person did this. And my mind, after it leaves the families of those that have been injured or killed, goes to that person that did the killing. Especially when it's a young 19-year-old person and realize what could have possibly gone so wrong in that life in those short 19 years to cause a person to do that, to hurt somebody else like that. My heart was broken on number fronts. It still is this morning. My heart is broken for our nation. That we have a nation now where these things happen with way too much regularity. I saw a number of people post online and some of our folks from our church, and I was so impressed with their thoughts and their, their realization of what the problem is. And we all know what the problem is. It's a God right now without, it's a, it's a nation right now without God where he belongs to be, where he should be in our nation here. It's a nation where we no longer want to have God in the city square. We no longer want God in the schools. I saw one post as well and one little article that I read that um, somebody was advocating that, that when they grew up, sound about the time I grew up, that when we sat in school, the first thing we did in the morning was have a little prayer, said the Pledge of Allegiance. We got to read the Bible in school. And then his comment at the end of that was we didn't have shootings back then. Well, imagine that. You all know, as do I, there's only one solution for what's wrong in our nation today. It's Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of ideas floating around there, but none of them really hit the nail on the head. The nail on the head, and some of our authors from our church here did, the things they wrote. The, the solution to all these issues and all these problems is Jesus Christ. What's causing this problem is, the bottom line, is sin. That we have sin. Too many places where there doesn't need to be sin in this world. There's always going to be sin, but there needs to be God first and foremost. You know, I was trying to figure out a scripture to read this morning before we all go to prayer for just a moment for our nation here, but um, there's all kinds of them. You know, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, if my people are called by my name. You know, I've been teaching Isaiah on a Friday morning Bible study, and Isaiah is going through all kinds of things, and there are parallels between the nation of Israel at that time, the time of Isaiah, and America today is profound. It's sad. Isaiah had turned their back on God. And God so wanted to encourage the Israelites and say, listen, and he's speaking to the Israelites now when they'd already been annihilated, basically, by the Babylonians and carried off into captivity. But he's speaking to these Israelites in captivity, and he says this to them. It's Isaiah chapter 40. You know the verse. God says, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth? He's saying, listen, come on, remember me. 
Remember me. And he says that over and over to the nation of Israel. The Creator never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I love that thought. We'll never get to the end of understanding God. Why? Because it's unsearchable. It's eternal. But God has a plan. God has something for you and I. He goes on in verse 29. He says, He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young man shall utterly fall. But I love this. And you know those verses very well too. But those that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's word is still in his book and God is still on his throne. God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for America. You know, the question for you and I today is, is God waiting on us or are we waiting on him? I'm going to tell you, and that's why we're going to teach Genesis here this year, preach through Genesis. God's waiting on us. God wants us to get serious about him. The problem in the church in America today, we're just not serious about God. Partly because we don't really know him. But partly also because we're just too busy to spend that time that he so desires to have with us. But let's take a moment right now, and I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for our church. So let's take a moment right now. I'm going to let you have a moment in silence yourself, and you can pray, but then I'm going to jump in here in just a moment. But let's pray this morning as we begin our worship time. Father, our hearts are saddened, Father, as we've seen the devastation in Florida, as we've heard the news come across the airways. And Father, we pray right now, Lord, that uh, you'd forgive us, Father, as a nation. Forgive us, Father, as a church. Forgive me, Father. Forgive us as individuals, Father, for the ways we've fallen short. And Father, as we enter into this new year still, Father, we pray right now, Lord, that we'd grow closer day by day with you that we'd realize, Father, you want nothing more from us than that intimate relationship, Father. And out of that intimate relationship, Father, will flow love, overwhelming, joy, eternal. Father, but also a heart's desire to walk in greater obedience day by day. Father, we realize, Lord, that you told us in your holy word, Father, that uh, when the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? So, Father, we realize, Lord, that the many foundations in America today have been destroyed, Father, but we realize... The only significant, the only important foundation, Father, is you. So as we enter into the study this morning, Father, I pray that every one of us, Father, would shore up that foundation, Father, that we'd realize, Lord, that uh, you have an incredible plan for our lives, Father, an incredible purpose, Father. You have set us apart for such a time as this, Father, that we might stand in such a way as we point others to you. Father, you tell us in your holy word as well, Lord, that when we stand upright, Lord, that we're going to see light in the darkness, Father. So let each one of us, Father, leave here today in just a little bit different than the way we came in. Father, let us stand in such a way, Father, that we are great lighthouses for your Son, Jesus Christ. That everywhere we go, Father, people would see that light, Father, that we'd see life in us, Father, that maybe they don't have. Father, that they'd see hope in us that maybe they don't have, Father. They'd see enthusiasm and excitement for about life, Father, as opposed to possibly despair and discouragement and depression that they suffer with. Father, use us, Father, in a mighty way. Father, as a body of believers here, Father, we don't want to see what we can do in this world, Father. We want to see what you might do through us. And Father, we realize, Lord, that you change this world with far fewer people, Lord, that are gathered here, than are gathered here in this room today. So, Father, use us, Father. And we pray right now, Father, for revival. I pray that revival would begin in us. Father, would spread to our peers and to our 
families, Father, and to those around us in our sphere of influence, Father. But more than that, Father, we pray right now that there would be a revival that would sweep this land in our nation once again would look to you, Father, and put you first in their life, Father. Lord, we thank you now once again for your holy word, Lord, that lives, that transforms, Father, that changes us moment by moment, day by day. Father, we thank you now once again for this time together in your house. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will. Guess where we're going to be at? Genesis 1. We're going to almost get out of Genesis 1 today. If you found your way to Genesis 1, stand with me this morning, if you will. We're just going to read the first two verses again. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to think about this. That is the foundation. That's the rock-solid foundation for all things. In the beginning God created the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. May God bless the reading of his holy word this day. You may be seated. From that very first verse we see that God took a chaotic mess. He described it there in the scripture. It was formless, it was void, and it was dark. And God brought about beauty, he brought about order, he brought about fullness. God took that chaotic mess and made something out of it. I want you to realize that God is still in the business of making things out of chaotic messes today. You know that maybe by your own personal life. I know it because of things I've seen in my own life here. God is still at work in a powerful way. But you know how God wants to work? He wants to work through you and I. He wants you and I to do great things in His name. He wants us to be vessels for His name. You know, as I was thinking about how we can really hone in on the idea of building this foundation, I want you to think back for just a moment actually think ahead to the New Testament. Remember the greatest sermon that was ever preached? We find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus Christ preached profound things, things he never heard before. Blessed are the meek, are you kidding me? Blessed are the mournful. All these things that Jesus Christ is, uh, peacemakers, all the things that Jesus Christ is preaching about here. It was a profound, solid, sold-out, greatest message ever, ever preached. But I want you to think for just a moment at the end of chapter 7 where Jesus Christ concludes the greatest message ever preached. His greatest message ever preached. The greatest message ever preached. He concludes with this thought. It's a story. Jesus Christ ends with a story about two builders. You know the story. There was one wise builder and one foolish builder. There was two different foundations. One was built on rock. One was built on sand. There was two results in that story. One was good. One was bad. There were two homes that were built. One home was built on the rock. One, built was, one home was built on the sand. You know the story. You know, I want you to understand there. The, the house that was built on the rock stood in the storm. The one that was built on the sand crumbled and it was destroyed. I want you to know this morning as we think about foundations, as we think about our life, and this, we have two choices. It's all about choices. God gave us free will. You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I did, I imagine all the hands would go up. Have you ever made a bad choice? Your pastor has. You know, amen, right? I see some smiles. I want to hear your stories later. I'm just kidding. But it's all about choices. It's all about what we're going to decide to do with our life for His glory. What are you doing with what you got for the glory of God? We can build our life on the rock or we can build our life on the sand. It's all about that foundation. Genesis is rock-solid foundation. A lot of people have not really gotten into Genesis. I've heard that from a lot of folks reading this one-year Bible this year. You know, I've never really looked at Genesis the way I am right now. I want you to know that there's no end to understanding God's meaning in these scriptures. 
I'm here to tell you, I could probably preach a thousand different messages on just the first chapter of Genesis. We're not going to do that. Don't, don't get worried. We're moving on to Genesis 2 next week. But you can talk about all kinds of things. What I want to talk about this morning is understanding that when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. God has an incredible plan for you and I. You also, we talked about this the last couple of weeks here, God created the universe and everything in it from nothing in six days. A lot of people argue about that. A lot of people wonder about it. The fact is that God says, I built it in six days. I created the earth in six days. He did it. How did he build it? He spoke it into existence. He spoke it into creation. He didn't get his hand out there and form it. He spoke it into creation. That's the kind of God we have. I want to look at those days today, and I want to look at what it says, first of all. I'm going to exegese it. Then we're going to think about for just a moment what it means. And then we're going to talk about what it means to us. What does this verse really mean to me as I understand God's creation and how he built this earth? Day number one, look at verses 3 through 5. You want to keep your Bible open here. We'll keep looking back and forth uh, as we move through Genesis here. But look at verse, uh, the day one and verse number three. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Listen very carefully. God spoke, and there was light. You may be experts right now in the book of Genesis, or you may have read it a couple of times, you understand this. How could there be light? Because God did not create the sun, the moon, or the stars until day number four. How could there be light on day one? Well, you know what? God is light. That was the light. God turned his light on. God put the light onto this world. The principle here is huge. I don't want you to miss this this morning. The Bible tells us in Psalms 104 that God wears light as a garment. But it's huge here that from the very first beginning here, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, that God is showing us, think about this for a minute, the salvation plan. He's showing us salvation in a very beautiful way here. On the very first day of creation, God establishes the principle of separation. What does it say there in Genesis 3, 1, 3 through 5? He separated the light from the darkness. He separated the day from the night. Separation. Think about this. Where do we go with that in the salvation plan? Because of our sin, we're separated from God. God is separated from us because of our sin. You know, this principle of separation here is kind of interesting. He not only separated the two things I mentioned about, but he separated the, 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 the waters from the upper and the lower waters. He separated the, the, uh, the earth from the seas. All the different things he did in creation here. But God separated these things, but he also defined light for eternity. Keep your finger in Genesis and flip over real quick to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. You know this verse as well. I want you to see it, though, this morning so we can understand it a little bit greater way. From the very first beginning, verse 3, God is establishing the context for salvation. He's given us a picture of salvation. John 1, 1 explains it to a new level here. Look at John 1, 1 for a second. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know what the Word was, right? Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him nothing was made. Nothing that was made was made. Jesus. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Think about that. When Jesus came, the light came to this earth and walked around the man. They didn't get it. They missed it. God is establishing the picture of salvation here from the very beginning. 
A lot of times we don't understand these things because we haven't got the foundation for our, where this all come from. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is light? It says right here, God is light. God brought light in this world. God gave that same light to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that light. He came to earth to be that light for you and I. That we might see the light and no longer walk in darkness. Jesus Christ was here from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit was there from the beginning. And God established light. We understand light as far as it refers to our life today. Because of our salvation in Jesus Christ, we now have light and no longer need to walk in the darkness. Day 2, verses 6 through 8 there. God said, let there be a firmament. Well, firmament is an expansion. If you look up the original word in the Hebrew text, it means expansion. What we had at that point is just all these vapors and all this dew and all this, all this uh, water floating around the earth. God separated it. God separated the heaven from the earth. He put water above, which is the heaven, and he put water below, which is in the earth there. He separated the water below and the water above, the water vapor above. God, it says in the scripture here, called it, called the firmament the heavens. You know what this is? It's another picture of God turning chaos into order. God speaks and separates the earth from the sky. I love this thought. Abraham Lincoln said this years ago. He said, I can never look at the heavens and not see the face of God and realize that there's an awesome God in heaven. He said, it's possible, though, for a man to walk around this earth always looking down and being atheist. But he thinks it's impossible for a man to walk around this earth and look up and not realize there's a great God in heaven. Think about that for a second. He's talking about what God created. He's talking about the fact that we can see God when we see creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. You're without excuse if you look at this creation and not realize there's a great God. God had a plan all the way back then. God desired to take complete chaos and darkness and voidness and make it into something. He separated the heavens from the earth in this picture here. Day 3. Look at verses 9 and 10 for a second. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God spoke and established the earth and the seas. You know, God has established a very stable environment here, yet nothing was growing. It goes on in verse 11 there. Pop down the next verse. So then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yield herb that yields seeds and the fruit, fruit tree and yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. You know, I want you to realize that uh, God had established this stable environment, had everything necessary to, for growth, for life, and yet nothing was living it. Nothing was living it. And so he created life in those plants and the herbs and the trees and all these things. You know, this is an incredible picture of you and I. You know, we can have this life that's pretty well established. We can have a life that's pretty well formed. We look at our life and we have good things and a stable environment. But when it gets right down to it, is my life really yielding fruit? Is my life making a difference in anybody else's life for the cause of Christ? Is my life being used by God Almighty to impact other people for His cause? I can tell you I believe one of the great failures in the American church today is that. That we're not surrendering to God to be used to see fruit. You guys know the scripture out of John 15 verse 5 says that God is the vine dresser. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's talking about you and I. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
We can have all these good things going on in our life. We can have all the things that God's provided for us. But what are we using those for? Are we being good stewards in such a way that we're not missing opportunities? Are we, steward, are we good stewards of opportunities? Are we good stewards of our communications, of our friendships, of our relationships? Is there fruit coming from my life? I want you to hear this very carefully this morning. If there's not fruit coming from our life, it might, it, it might necessitate you and I evaluating where we're spending our time. Where am I abiding in my time? Who's abiding in me and where am I abiding? Am I abiding in Christ? I want you to know this. As God is my witness, I've seen it over and over. Not just my life, but your life's as well. When I get serious about following God and I really begin to surrender myself in greater ways, you know what happens? I begin to see fruit. Why? Because God used me. I can't help but stop talking about it. I can't help but talk about it all the time. I, want, I, I begin looking at people that I know in my sphere of influence. I wonder, I wonder if they're a Christian. All these things kind of come out of the fact that I'm abiding close to Christ. You can't get close to God and not have love overwhelm you. You can't operate in this world and not realize that God has a plan for my life, but also God has something He wants to use me to do. He wants us to make a difference in other people's lives. Look at day four. I didn't talk about the whole foundation here and the, the way that God structured this, but the first three days, if you think about this, we just covered day three. God was forming. That's pretty outlined there. The next three days, He's filling. He's forming the things, that, the substances. He formed the air. He formed the land. He formed the sea. Now He's going to go about filling it. Look at day four, verse 14. It says this. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and divide the day from the night and let, there be for, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. God spoke and placed the sun, the moon, the stars, marked off the days and nights and seasons and years. He did that there and it said in the scripture, chapter, verse 14, I did those as signs for you. What are those signs? I don't know all the things that God's talking about, but think about when we think about the seasons. Think about in the morning when you see the sun come up. Think about when you see the moon at night. Think about when you see the stars at night. And I love living out here in the country because every night the clear sky up there, you can go out there and see the beautiful stars. I know you appreciate that too. How neat just to stand outside in the darkness there and look up and see God's masterpiece. You know what that says to you and I? That says that God is faithful. We don't need to get on our knees and beg God every morning the sun comes up the next morning, do we? We don't need to get on our knees and say, God, I hope it rains sometime soon. God's in control. God has it. We can pray for rain. But God has it. God put these things there so we would be reminded every time we look up, just like Abraham Lincoln, that there's a God in heaven that he's faithful to you and I. What is he looking for? A return of that faithfulness. He's faithful to you and I, but he wants us to be faithful to him too. But we need to understand that God created these things. He did it for what? He did it for yours and my benefit. All these things are here because he knew the end of the story. Then on the sixth day, he was going to create you and I. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to ponder this morning God's faithfulness when we look at his great creation. Look at the stars and the sky, but also the seas and all the things he created here. Day 5, look at verse 20. God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. God spoke and created fish and birds, big and small, it says. I want you to see in verse 22 there. It says, God bless them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. This is the first occurrence where we see God use the word blessedness and blessed in the Bible. Very first time there in Genesis, chapter 22, verse 22, chapter 1. God's admonition here is to be fruitful and multiply. That's the blessing he's praying for. He's going to pray the same thing for you and I, you know, and our husbands and wives. Be, be fruitful and multiply. 
But he's saying, hey, I'm giving you something here. I want to bless you that you can continue who you are. Think about the blessings that we have as children. Day 6, look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. It was so. You know, God's creating right here, he's spoken into creation, all kinds of four-legged animals. I want you to notice something here, though. He said, uh, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth. Well, what is beasts of the earth? We think about cattle, they're pretty big animals. We don't know for sure, but a lot of people might say that they're dinosaurs. He created everything. You know, dinosaurs kind of confuse people sometimes. Well, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs? Or how about all the stories I've heard in school that we've been around for millions and billions of years and the dinosaurs things. Where did the dinosaurs go on the ark? That's a big one. My son asked me that one time. Dad, how did the dinosaurs get on the ark? Well, like all living creatures, you know, when they're born, they're probably small, so maybe there are a couple of baby dinosaurs in that ark. I don't know. My son also asked me about fish. Where do the fish go in that ark? The fish probably stay in the water. I'm not sure. But I want you to see something here, too. It says this in... Um, Let me see. Oh, here it is. Back to verse 24 for a second. It said, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of earth, each according to its own kind. And it was so. I want you to understand why God put that in there, okay? He knew there would be a guy by the name of Darwin come along one day. And so he mentions according to your own time almost every time he talks about creating living things. They would multiply according to their own kind. He said it seven times here in these verses we're looking at this morning just the first few verses of chapter of Genesis 1. What he's saying here is that animals are going to reproduce within its own species. God's saying right here that evolution is false, is a false explanation of the origins. Why? Because evolution, the main premises and foundation for Darwinism, evolution is the idea that there's a transition between species. The species born this way one day and the next time it's born another way. He's saying no. Each species born continuously in that same species. They don't transition to someone else. So God has given the definition right here seven times in the book of Genesis that species do not transition. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. There's no scientific evidence today that they have found through fossils or any other kind of foundation, a proof of evolution, that the idea that we get evolved from one thing to the next. We don't evolve from monkeys to man. There's no fossils that have been found that demonstrate something in between a monkey and a man. Nothing scientific. God's saying right here, God said at first, I believe it. God says that we're all going to reproduce according to our own kind. Look at the, time, the, the moment you've been waiting for, verse, uh, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We see there when he said, let us make man in our image, we see the presence of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says here in the Scripture that we are created by God. I want you to realize that God creates every one of us personally. It's not a mass factory, but God has, God has designed you, God has formed you, God has created you personally. He says, uh, he says to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He created Jeremiah. He even set him apart for a very specific purpose. You know what? He's done the very same thing for you as well. You're here with a purpose. God has a reason for you being here. God created you personally. He has a plan for your life. It says as, as well that we're created in His image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We embody God's communicable attributes. No other animal has the attributes closest to God like we do. We have what God has in many ways. He also said that we're going to rule over creation. He said he created male and female. We're going to get into that next few weeks here. But both were created in God's image. Both of them share the responsibility for dominion over the creation. But there are different designs. He designed them differently. A man cannot multiply and fulfill the earth. A woman by herself can't do the same thing. It takes both. God created them, man and woman, so they could accomplish God's mandate to multiply and recreate. But I want you to hear this this morning. I believe one of the great issues facing our younger generation today and also the older generation is it's an identity problem. We go through a whole life trying to figure out who we are. You know, <coughs> unfortunately, a lot of people have a low self-identity. So it affects the way they live. It affects who they are. They don't realize that they're special. I think most of us as parents have tried to do that as we raise our kids, to re- let them realize how special they are. Most of all, they're special to God. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're made in His image. Norman Vincent Peale, you've probably heard of him before, made a trip to Hong Kong one time. He was walking down a street past a tattoo parlor. He just stopped by the window for a second. They had all these pictures and things you get tattooed on your body if you want to get one of those things. <coughs> about down the corner of one of those placards that was in the window there, he saw this tattoo. Born loser. Born loser? Really? Somebody tattooed that on their body? So Norman Vincent Peale said, I'm going to go in and talk to the man that runs the shop. He went there and asked him, does anybody really get that tattooed on their body? He said, yeah. He says, a lot of people. Norman Mr. Peel couldn't understand it. So he asked the Chinese man, how come, why? Chinese man said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. I want to think about this. Unfortunately, a lot of people could probably get that tattoo because that's where my mind's at. I'm a loser. I have no value. I hate to see that. Young people, older people, people get hurt growing up. People get damaged. People feel like I've just made too many mistakes, that God could never love me, that God made a mistake when he made me. That's going around in this world right now. God made a mistake when he made me a man. I'm supposed to be a woman. It's sad that we have such a struggle with identity. But the struggle all comes from the perspective of we don't realize who his real, our real father is. Our father in the heaven, God Almighty. We have an earthly father, earthly mother. But we have a heavenly father that made us. He created us. And God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make losers. God makes all winners. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. God made you special in this world. You know, one of the biggest issues I think that we have in understanding our identity is we don't understand the foundation here. We don't understand that, man, I was created by God. I wasn't created by some factory or by some mechanic or something else. I was fashioned by God. I'm special. Even if people around me don't think I'm special, I'm not special because God says I'm special. There needs to be a time in our life when we come and understand and nail down the foundation of our life and realize that I am a special person, that I have a purpose in this world, that God made me specially. God has set me apart for such a time as this. What am I going to do with that? Well, we can't do a whole lot with us until we really understand the foundation. That's what we're doing Genesis for. That's what we're reading the Bible for. But God, I want to completely understand who I am in you. I want to understand my purpose in life. I want to understand the promises made. D.L. Moody said this, and I love this. 
Do you understand this? He said, if you can get past Genesis 1-1, then you'll never doubt another miracle in the whole Bible. Think about that. If we can get past, if we can wrap our arm and our heart and our mind around the idea that in the beginning God created, everything else in the Bible makes sense. Because if somebody could create the universe and everything in it, then surely he can walk on water. Surely he can heal. Surely he can raise people from the dead. God can do all these things because he did that. It's understanding the foundation that we have. As I've always shared with you, every time we do a little message here, we're going to ask the question, so what? So what does all this mean? Well, I want to understand, first of all, what the Bible says, the, uh, the actual Jesus here, but also expedite the Bible here. But I want to also understand what it means to me. This is what it says, this is what it means, what it means to me. That's the so what part of my message here this morning. Just going to pull out three quick characteristics. First of all, God can bring light to darkness. You know that. Many of you were living in darkness and God saved you. God found you. We see people living in darkness today. Who's going to shine that light into their life? God's asked you and I to do that, to reflect his light into their life. The second thought here this morning, so what? God can bring order to chaos. God can bring order to chaos. The Bible tells us in Philippians that we can have the peace that passes understanding. In the midst of our most turbulent time, in the midst of our hardest times, we can have peace. We can see God. We can have a comfort that only God can give. The third thing this morning, God can fill what is empty. God can fill what is empty. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. God desires for us to walk filled with him. We may not be filled with things of the world. Who cares? But if we can be filled with him, you know what? We got all we need. God can bring light to our darkness. God can bring order to our chaos. God can fill what is empty.